Recording in progress. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. <laughs> and we should consider that the intro to this week's show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You're very welcome into the latest edition. Season 2, episode 4 of Drive Talking. I am Dara Otuma and I am joined, as always, by two absolute legends in this room. First off, we will go to Miss Caroline Kidd and Caroline of ChangingLanes.ie, as well, of course, as Drive Talking itself. Congratulations must be put your way this week because you are now officially one of the presenters on carzone.ie well done you i am absolutely delighted thank you so much dara and it's... great work as well folks the mazda cx5 video is now live go in and have a look uh, and i have to say caroline some excellent uh, drone footage thrown in there and excellent presentation and everything else like that as well so well done you myself and neil are doing the silent clap in the background here <laughs> And people can hear that buzzing around. Also joining me this week, he's returned. He's back from Stuttgart. His name is yeah. Mr. Neil M. Briscoe, or at Neil M. Briscoe, as the Twitter sphere likes to call him. Neil, you're very welcome back to the to the to the great land that is where we are right now. Welcome home. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm back. Uh, I, I had a lovely time in Stuttgart, and. Uh, I should, I mean, it sounds a bit, I mean, it's not the most exciting thing to say, but thank you to the guys at the Porsche Museum who looked after me and my, or my son and I, I should say, uh, and, and treated us to a tour of the museum. So it was fab. Did, did you like my small bit of joshing um, on last week's show where I said, yeah, Neil is going to bring his son over because his son really wanted to go. Neil, you fooled no one, but I must say you sent back <laughs> some amazing and awesome footage or, or soundage, as we'll call it from here on out. Well done, you. Thank you. Okay, now, folks, what are we going to talk about in this week's show? Well, there's plenty coming up, uh, despite all my giving out over the last few weeks, uh, last few episodes about Nissan having a serious lack of electric vehicles. We do have news of a new electric vehicle that we'll talk about a little bit later on. As well as that, we're going to have a look at the new Range Rover Sport. We'll have a few words around that. Of course, that has been unveiled during the week. We'll talk about subscriptions. This is an amazing article that Mr. Neil M. Briscoe wrote for the Irish Times this week. And Neil, I want to deep dive into that and as well as that there is news of a honda crv uh, coming in the year 2023 we won't say much about that but of course we will look as well as that we have beep tests folks we have loads of beep tests this week uh caroline kid i have to apologize to you later on i didn't play the beep test last week um so i have neil's one from the audi rs e-tron which is here and as well as that i have the jaguar i-pace the um and the toyota rav4 as well which we get to later on too and then, as always, because Neil and Caroline are back in the room, we will be doing our drive talking quiz, which we'll get to a little bit later on. OK, let's start off the show, folks. Uh, I'm going to start off with you, Mr. Briscoe, uh, because I suppose you need to warm those vocal cords after your week off the airwaves. Me, 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 me. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so, you know, you need a couple more minutes of warming them up. So la, 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 la. Sorry. <laughs> let, let's start off with a conversational piece first. Uh, 50 years of M from BMW, Neil. What's the Jack and Ori? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, that just depresses me slightly because because uh, it reminds me of how old I am because M is only slightly older than me. Uh, yeah, it's 50 years since BMW created uh, MGMBH, which is its motorsport and sporting road car brand, and it's created such astonishing machines down the years as that, that original mid-engined M1, which was supposed to have been built by Lamborghini on BMW's behalf, but actually there was some screw-up, and uh, I think that's actually a strike in Italy, wasn't it? And they, could, they couldn't, couldn't get them built, and so they ended up having to be built back in Munich. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And then the fabulous straight six engine from that car then got transposed to the five series to create the first m5 and then in the mid 80s he got the first e30 m3 with that amazing uh four-cylinder engine and just an astonishingly talented chassis and that i think it's that m3 that original e30 m3 for me that's still that's the lodestone for m that's the car that m should be building and actually it's the car that increasingly they're not building like everything else they're getting more and more complex and heavier and overpowered you know that that original m3 had what we would now call hardly any power i mean it was it was under 200 horsepower for most of its lifetime but it was just so good and so sweetly balanced to drive 
Caroline Kidd, any any particular favorite M's over the last 50 years? Now, I, I know you're not 50. Uh, I know you're not there yet, but any particular not M that's, <laughs> yeah, any so particular M that I'm stands so, out? I'm so glad you asked that question because as you were talking, I was thinking about that. I love the M5 from the early 2000s. I don't know what number it is. I'm sure the uh, BMW aficionados would know the exact number, but I really loved that car, that M5. And there's something about an M5. It's just the best, isn't it? Big, fast German saloon car. I have to say, Caroline, right, so that particular M that you're talking about, and I don't know the number, but I know Neil is Googling there, so he's going to jump in in a second. But I play, I play all the time, right? Um, and I should be ashamed to admit this, but I'm not, okay? So we have PlayStation 3, so we have uh, GT5 and GT6 on that. But I roll back. I still play the GT4 where they have a 2004 M5, and it's just awesome. Uh, it's it's nothing like driving the real thing, but I can pretend as my son does as we play these games together. Um, Neil Briscoe, any particular M that stands out for you? It's got to be a five, right? Uh, no, I th- well, I think there's two. If you're talking about the current lineup, I think there's two. Uh, one is the M2, which uh, is on its way out now. Um, it's been in production since 2013, I think. And you can get it now, well, you get the last few in, in 400 horsepower competition form. And that is just such a, such a sweetheart of a car. It's the closest thing to the original M3 because it's small, compact, relatively light, just, you know, a revy, powerful engine in a simple enough body. You can even get it with a manual gearbox. You know, there's just no messing around with that car. It's just big fun with a capital F. The other one, though, is the M5 CS, because I'm not a big fan of the current M5. It's generally speaking, it's too big, too heavy, too fast, too much. But the CS, they've just sprinkled some kind of magic Munich pixie dust over it. It it just is a staggeringly good car to drive. And it is as good on a racetrack as it is on the road and vice versa. I uh, I enjoyed driving it so much that when I wrote it up, I got accused by someone on Twitter of incitement to violence because <laughs> <laughs> they, they thought I was encouraging everyone to go out and start drifting their M5s around city centres. Uh, I wasn't, by the way, but fantastic, fantastic. And by the way, just just to answer that question uh, from earlier on, it was the E60. Um, that's the one that Caroline Kid was thinking about there. So my my fingers weren't fast enough on the old Google machine as Caroline was talking. So uh, <laughs> let's move on from that, right, folks? Uh, more news this week is Range Rover have unveiled their new sport. Uh, Neil, what have you got for us? Well, it's I mean it's the inevitable Range Rover sport because we've had the new Range Rover launched uh, just recently. Uh, the first the first well. I would say the first one arrived in Ireland, but it was actually just a left-hand drive demonstration car. So it, it's, you can't really describe it as having arrived as such. But uh, the, the Sport is obviously a little bit smaller, a little bit lighter, a little bit, well, a lot sportier. Uh, and it'll come in here with a price tag of, I think it's 114,000 euros for the new one. And, wow. But it, there's a, I mean, in a, in a sense, nothing has changed. It sticks to the template of what the old Range Rover Sport's like. So you know, it's a Range Rover, but a bit smaller, a bit sleeker, and and kind of you know supposedly more fun to drive. And they have uh, launched it by getting Jessica Hawkins, who's this amazing stunt driver who who is a racing driver. She also works on the Bond films, and she drove it up the spillway of a dam in Iceland which has, I think it's a 750 tonne per minute flow of water coming down it. And if she'd gotten it wrong, there's a 90 metre drop at the back of the spillway. So it's a proper stunt. Um, so, But actually the big change is that it's like the new Range Rover, it's al- almost all that will be sold here will be plug-in hybrids. Um, okay. Land, Rover's, Land Rover sales in Ireland are now 92% plug-in hybrid. Uh, and so they're, they're, they're talking about CO2 emissions from as low as 18 grams per kilometre, assuming you plug in a lot and make the most possible use of the, the battery. But it'll go 113 kilometres on, on the battery. So you, wow. you could actually theoretically, yeah, you could theoretically get a lot of electric mileage out of it. So, I mean, that won't stop, you know, local eco activists throwing eggs and other substances at you as you drive past but at least at least it'll solve your own conscience uh, caroline you're driving this week and um we'll get we'll get on to the actual review in a few few moments but you're driving the jaguar i-pace are you finding many uh similarities between that and let's say the last uh, range rover that you drove 
or the last uh, Land Rover that you drove? That's a good question. No, I would say it's completely different, actually. I think I drove the Defender um, last. That was the last Land Rover product I drove. That was in 2020. So, yes, I've driven a lot of cars since then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you're you're gonna have a Range Rover Sport delivered to your car or to your front door now over the next few weeks Caroline Kidd I think they're Uh, lovely except for the rear styling I'm not so sure about the the new rear styling okay are we are we still having a number plate issue here with the rear of the car itself haven't seen the new no none whatsoever am I am I the am I the only person who will stand up for the the offset number plate on the discovery and say that I think Let's say that I think it actually looks quite good. I think I'm the I think I'm the only I think I'm the only person who thinks that. Other than that, I, I think I think mm. Neil that they're actually fine. I think they're all right. Uh, it just so many people seem so offended by it. I I, I don't mind. I, I actually quite enjoy reading all these remarks. Going, what's wrong with that? It's like, come on, lads. There'd be nothing better to be given out about um, other than where the um, number plate sits. Okay, moving on from that, Neil. You wrote a great article during the week. Uh, regarding subscriptions in the Irish Times, um, I, yes, you did. Well, sorry, you may have you may have written it months ago, but it's it's on the Irish Times as of last week or yesterday, I believe. Uh, in spite of the recent and apparently calamitous fall in the number of Netflix subscribers, the global motor industry is still trying to move consumers to a pay monthly model for major options and vehicle functions. What are we talking about here, Neil? We're talking about you'll buy a car. And it won't come with anything. You'll then have to go on to the... Well, what will happen is it'll be fitted with all the hardware to do like active headlights and active cruise control and heated seats and all this kind of stuff. But you'll have to go into the touchscreen. You'll have to put, you know, you have to create an account with a credit card, put in your PIN and say, yes, I'd like to pay five euro a month for heated seats or I'd like to pay 30 euros a month for active cruise control or whatever. Now... I mean, pretty much everybody is looking down this road. BMW had a bit of a go at it a couple of years ago with Apple CarPlay. They were trying to get people to pay extra every year to to use the Apple CarPlay license. And their kickback on it was something else to the point where, you know, vast German corporate entity that is BMW had to go scurrying back to the drawing board and say, no, no, it's okay. You can have Apple CarPlay for free. Don't worry. Please don't hurt us. Um, and I think I was talking to uh, someone else in, in the motor industry who who shall uh, better remain unnamed because, you know, the company that he works for is also into this kind of thing. Uh, and and he said he thinks we're reaching peak subscription, uh, that people <laughs> are just going to get people are just going to get ticked off with constantly shelling out every month for stuff. And you can see it already. You know, if you know if you want to watch all the good TV shows, you've got to have Netflix, you've got to have Amazon Prime, you've got to have Disney Plus. You know, soon you're going to have to have something else for Warner Brothers, something else for Paramount stuff. And eventually, who wants to, you know, who wants to pay that many subscriptions? And I think car companies are, are playing a very dangerous game with this stuff. People buy cars differently to how they buy other stuff. It's not the same. It's not... Okay, oh, good. The subscription idea might work for. Oh, did uh, I disappear I, there? Uh, you you kind of did, but you're back. You're back. I think we got the gist of it. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, Caroline Kid. <laughs> I'll I'll shut up now (laughs) No, we'll come back to you in one second Just as your internet catches up with itself Caroline Kidd, back back to you on this I see you nodding your head vigorously uh, Mm. Throughout that particular piece there Um, I suppose, would you agree with the sentiment from Neil? I think it's awful To ask consumers To pay subscriptions The cars are expensive enough at the start You shouldn't have to pay To get Apple CarPlay Or any other gizmo On the car so it's just not good for consumers. It can't be good for consumers. So it's just companies trying to make more money. I, I think what bugs me the most about this is the fact that all of this technology is in the car already. It's just a matter of turning it on, hitting the switch, pushing a button after paying 70, 80, 90, 100 grand for a car. And it's generally the higher end cars that this is in. I remember, uh, am I right in saying it's also within Tesla Model S and things like that as well for effectively you can get a software update overnight uh, and it'll change certain components in your car. And I remember first time I heard that sitting there going, why would I spend near a hundred plus thousand euro on a car uh, only to be told that, well, actually you must sign up if you want this, that, and the other to actually work within the car or to get your software update on the car as well. Neil, is your internet back working for us? I hope so. Can oh, you hear me? Yes, Am we coming can. In? Okay. 
I, I will just wrap up quickly. I promise I won't harp on and on and on about this, but it does bug me. This, I mean, this is a classic, this really grinds my gears thing because there's there's two things happening. One is car companies are trying to open up an extra revenue stream mm-hmm. because, you know, sales They, they, they don't get enough from us. And, mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, it, you know, it, 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 it goes into the secondhand market. It, you know, it'll be a case of you'll trade in your car and you've paid your subscription for all these things. And then the car company and the dealer will brick the system, reset it to factory, and then the next poor schmo who comes along and buys that car will have to pay a subscription all over again. Unlike now, where you know someone who's well off can buy a car with loads and loads of options, they'll suffer the depreciation, and then some smart fellow will come along and buy it in three or four years' time and get a whole load of nicely equipped toys for a lot less money. And in fact, the, the good thing is the the, the European uh, Consumer Agency, the BEUC, is, uh, is on to this. Uh, and I think they may well shoot down parts of it. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays I, out. I, I really hope so. And seeing that you're actually all warmed up uh, and you know, you're ready to go and everything else like that. Caroline, I was going to ask this question of you, but no, I'm bringing it back to Neil because I know <laughs> it's his favorite topic. Neil, does the world need another Honda SUV now? Oh. oh look at his face oh gosh okay i'm i'm torn i'm torn because i love hondas i absolutely adore hondas hondas honda makes some of the best cars you can buy unquestionably and also some of the cars that will continue working long after all three of us here are dead not to be maudlin about it um but uh, no we don't need another suv do we really it'll be it'll be a, it'll be based on the new Civic, I think, and it'll be it'll it'll be kind of Qashqai sized, whereas you know the current HRV is kind of what Renault Capture size, and the CRV is like Ford Cougar, Toyota Rav Four size. So it'll be in betweeny, but just just no, just sod off. Just give me a nicer Civic. But take that <laughs> development budget and just give me a nicer Civic and a new Accord, a new Accord. The Accord was fabulous. Bring the Accord back. Please, oh, Honda. You're really showing how old you are, aren't you, Neil? You've been Prelude. super grumpy. Super you said grumpy. The magic, you said the magic word, prelude. I know I'm being grumpy. I'm so sorry, but I'm just so done with SUVs and crossovers. I am finished. Oh, Neil. I, and I'm I not finished. So please, you guys carry on. I, I, you need I, another I, SUV because SUVs sell. And they need to sell more cars. It's simple business and maths. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But I'm, I'm kind of, look, I'm kind of with Neil in this. I'm not as anti, <laughs> I'm not as anti SUVs as Neil, uh, Caroline. But I kind of, like, I, I look at this and Neil kind of put it perfectly there, right? So you take the CRV and the HRV and there's not actually much between them. If you put them beside each other, yes, one is clearly bigger than the other. But now we're just getting this tiny little bit of extra space in this uh, ZRV. By the way, folks, I never introduced this particular news item. Uh, yes, Honda in 2023 will be launching a, a new vehicle, new C-segment SUV uh, called the ZRV. Um, but uh, Caroline, I'm kind of the opinion that like, Come on, CRV, HRV, and then something literally squashed, like for that minimal amount of extra space that you get somewhere there in the middle. I need a good modern SUV. I don't think the new generation HRV really delivered everything that it promised uh, compared to the original HRV, which was really quite popular. Uh, the CRV is a good car, but it's starting to get a little bit old now as well. So I'll be happy to see non- another Honda SUV. I hope it's a good one. <laughs> I would like I would like to put forward a proposal that the only SUVs that should be allowed to be on the market, and I realise this is kind of you know we're we're drifting into communist era territory. Yes, I, I just thinking okay. that Neil. Okay, so Land Rover Defender and Range Rover will allow those. Toyota Land Cruiser will allow that. If Mitsubishi want to build another Pajero, we'll allow that. And then bring back the original Skoda Yeti and the Suzuki Jimny can stick around as well. Everybody else can sod off. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously, Caroline, have you ever seen him like this? Uh, I, I don't suppose- know what's happened in the two weeks since we last saw him. Do you know what I'm saying? I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you exactly what happened. While I was in Germany, I drove the Golf R Estate. Yes. Right? That is a fabulous, fabulous car. That is a that is a nailed-on five-star car, that, right? And it's then you brilliant. found out it wasn't coming here. 
It does well. I knew that ahead of time because I remember reviewing the last gen Golf Estate several years ago and got Volkswagen at the time telling me, you know what, not enough people are buying this. We're probably not going to bother with the eighth generation one, and they didn't because everybody went out and bought a Tig one. Incidentally, a Tig one has a smaller boot than a Golf Estate, so you're actually fooling yourself if you think you're buying a practical car when you're buying a Tig one. You're also buying a more expensive car, and you're buying a car with higher CO2 emissions. So. You know, just stop. Just go back to your Volkswagen dealer and say, I would like a Golf Estate, please. And if enough of you do it, then that will happen. And then we can start buying nice cars again. Neil, I'm loving that new vein that I've just seen pop out of your forehead there. I, I kind of like that. This is fantastic. Yes, folks, Neil Briscoe is on one. Okay, listen, we put the reader's questions out again this week. Um, and actually, I'm going to refer to one from last week. The one response... I've gotten from a, a show text as such, you know, uh, to say, would you like to ask us any questions or is there anything you want us to discuss? The one response, and I wasn't allowed to actually do it because Neil, who decided to swan off the Porsche there last week, said, oh, hold on, let's talk about this week. So, Sinto, uh, and thanks for again for getting in touch this week. Um, Sinto says, talk me through the test drive process. When test driving a car for the first time, is there a certain process or checklist you go through, or do you just drive it for the few days and make an opinion? Okay, who wants to tackle this first? Hands up. I'm sure I might as well go first. You mentioned checklist. Well, that sounds very practical. I don't use a checklist. It's not that organized, but I suppose I do. I drive a lot on the same type of roads. So I pick up the car in Dublin and I hit the usually the M11 first or the M9, depending on what, what side of Dublin I pick up the car. Uh, so I get that experience of motorway driving for maybe an hour, an hour and a half. And then I go off the motorway and I'm on maybe a national primary road. Then I might pass through a town. Then I'm on the rural roads. And I think that's where... The, the test really hits in. You really get to test the the handling of the car. So I suppose it's standardized in that way in that I'm driving on the same roads all the time. So you very quickly benchmark, I suppose, and you can the cars to that. Um, yeah, that's, that's over to you, Neil. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you do. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't have a written checklist that I go through, but I've I've got a mental, <laughs> in every sense of the word, mental <laughs> checklist. Uh, and it, and it and it varies from car to car. You know, if you're driving a you know a, a, a diesel family SUV, then you don't bother taking it on your favourite twisty turning driving road most of the time. Now, that's not a blanket thing, by the way. There are cars. I do have a quiet stretch of road that I know, which I'm not going to say where it is because I don't want everybody going up there, uh, that I use when I'm driving something sporty because it, it it's a road where you can drive quite slowly and relatively safely, but you will still find out if a car has good dynamics or not. It, you will discover anything wrong with it on that road. And that road works really well for ride quality too. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I live in Belfast, so I'm up and down to Dublin collecting test cars. So I've got that long stretch of the M1 and then the A1 to get home. So that's a reasonably good variety of roads. Um, there's a stretch of the A1 that's great for testing tire noise. Uh, I remember driving an Audi S3 up there that I couldn't, I literally couldn't hear the stereo at full volume because the tires were making so much noise on concrete surface. It was appalling. Um, and then there's roads around here, around my home um, that, that I use. Uh, so yeah, you, and as Catherine said, you have a, you drive on the same road. Caroline, Caroline. <laughs> I'm not Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm God, just going to go and lie down in a quiet room <laughs> and just <laughs> flagellate myself with birch leaves or something. Because Catherine, honestly, Angela, Mary, your, your reaction. Your reaction was better than anything outside of that, Neil. Uh, folks, if only you could see that. He he grabs a hat and he just buries his head in it. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Caroline. And that I was the just, end of that segment. I'm just no, so tired <laughs> and so overworked at the moment. And I have, my brain is just turned to fudge. So, but I, so I, yeah, I, I've, got a che- I've got a checklist, but hey, it doesn't matter because I don't have a functioning brain anymore. There you go. There's I, your answer. I, I, I think I, I kind of had a checklist checklist, right? Because... Pretty much in my last two or three years of motor journalism, uh, every car that I got, we made a video of, right? So my checklist was effectively a, a shot list. 
right? So I've always looked into the, let's say, the practicalities of a car. So you go into the back seat. What's your leg room like? What's your headroom like? Uh, what's the the plastics like around the car? Um, does the steering wheel make noises when you turn it? They, what what are the throws like between gears? You've got all these different things. So that was effectively our shot list. But it came from the whole idea of, well, what are we reviewing in this car itself? Now, as you mentioned earlier on, like take, for example, a seven seater, you're you're not checking for. Well, sorry, you are checking for dynamics on the road. You absolutely are like a, I'd, I'd argue that would be a bad idea not to, because at the end of the day, people want to know they can do this in comfort. They also want to know where they're going to get that kind of the more torque if they want to do a, an overtake or something like that. Are, are they actually going to be capable of doing it? So you test for those things as well. But um, yeah, so I, I I think it was a written down checklist and I did actually used to have to go in and take them off because I was there doing the shots as well going, okay, have I got that? Okay, I mentioned this, but have I got that? Have I got that? Have I got that? Um, but that was it. But yeah, in, in terms of the actual feel of the drive, I suppose, uh, Caroline, I go down to Wexford every other week. Uh, family are from then there uh, and then up to Donegal as well. So most weeks I'd end up getting, let's say, three, 400 kilometers at the vehicle itself and hand it back. But there is one thing that I'll say, and you two may argue with me on it. A week is not long enough to give, uh, like, I personally feel you can give a good overview of a car within a week. Uh, however, you need to live with a car to be able to turn around and say, well, actually, here's the warts and all. Here, here's where it's fallen down. And now there was one thing that always annoyed me, by the way. Now I'm getting up my perch, right? When, when I used to do reviews, Obviously, you'd have to talk about the horsepower of the car and obviously you'd have to talk about the torque of the car and all these other things. And often I'd be accused, oh, you're taking information straight from the booklet that's handed to you before you test drive the car, right? The, the stats and all the rest. And you're kind of sitting there going, well, folks, I don't listen to an engine and I'm not able to turn around and say, well, actually, that's 140 brake horsepower. <laughs> mm. you, you see it written down in advance. You're told what literage the engine is before you get into it. You're told all of these things. And um, yet some people will turn around and actually say, oh yeah, yeah, you're just you're just reading off the stats list there. It's like, no, afraid not. Well, the, well, the sorry, numbers are important. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers are important. And that's part of it too. You look at the numbers. Yes. But the numbers will only tell you so much. Then you go and you feel it on the road for yourself. That's yeah. the really cool part of it. And you start to understand what the numbers mean, how they actually feel on the road so I think it's probably something I do now quite intuitively um testing cars is actually hard to kind of fully um put words to it but I think having driving the cars on similar roads really helps you to, to know to pinpoint things and then obviously the practical things like sitting in the back and opening the boot yeah. and fiddling around seeing what's under the boot floor it's very exciting really I love discovering a new car every week I don't know Ka- how Nigel feels oh yeah I like that I like that uh, <laughs> Nigel over there in the corner is still right <laughs> <red-faced>. I deserve <laughs> that I thoroughly deserve that Nigel. yes I agree with Caroline I agree with Caroline in that it is, yeah, that's that's the best part of the gig is that you, you you do you get to find out something new every week. It's not it's you know, it's not just about the driving of the car, it's about all the other bits and pieces. It's about as as you say there, it's about what's it like in the back, what's you know, does it have a decent boot? Does my dog, I have a large dog, does he fit comfortably in it? All these kind of things. Um, and it's yeah, it's just it's fun as much as anything else. Mm. It is just oh, look, there's something new. There's something we can talk about. There's something that's interesting. And that's great. That's the best part of it. Okay, I'm going to move on to another question that came in. This time is from Mr. Dan Coughlin. And Dan, thanks, by the way, for, for posting us out on LinkedIn. And anyone else is listening, if you feel like posting us out on LinkedIn or on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever you have in yourself, uh, please do. Uh, we'd very much appreciate it. Spread the word. Let everybody know we're here. Let them tune in, all these other things. So we can massage our egos and say, yes, we're in the charts again this week. Okay, a uh, question in from Dan Coughlin. Dan says, but I'd love to get your take on if you guys are interested in discussing it further okay let's get to that um 
It is the future of the dealer network and routes to market for manufacturers. I feel like we're at odds currently in Ireland, in particular where brands like Polestar and Tesla are emerging who place little or no emphasis on dealerships, while concurrently some of the largest dealers, like the Joe Duffy Group, are investing tens of millions in new showrooms and dealer centres around the country. Are these large new glass houses bound to be after-sales centres in the next 10 years? Caroline Kidd, your thoughts on that? I think the dealer... I think the dealership is still very much relevant. It's a big investment in new car. It's not like going into a shop to buy a sandwich or a pair of shoes. I don't really like this retail store idea. Um, I still think the dealership matters. It's such an expensive purchase. And it takes time as well to obviously you do your online research and then you go and maybe look at the car a few times, bring it for a drive. And I suppose I'm a bit more locally minded about it as well. Um, so I still believe in the dealership. I think they're still relevant. Uh, I, I'm Caroline, I'd come at you from a different angle. I actually think that throughout lockdowns over the last two years, um, we, we got more used to technology. I mean, like, for, for example, two years ago, had we contemplated doing a, a podcast, I don't think we would have done it in the manner in which we're doing it now, which is three guys or three people or three folks sitting on a Zoom call uh, watching each other. I mean, folks, we have our cameras on here and one day we will deliver a video podcast to you. But I think we learned to deal with that a lot. And I understand what you're saying. It's a very um, it's an investment that requires a lot of pondering, a lot of thinking, a lot of research and things like that. And there's a lot of money behind it. But the bottom line is, right, when you go into a dealer, if, if you're driving a car for, let's say, a two kilometer test drive, and I know some are offering 24 hour test drives, but they're quite difficult to get. And um, you're not going to learn too much extra about that car apart from reviews that you may have read online, etc. That's my personal viewpoint of it. That's why I think the job that you two guys do is so important to actually uh, give that information to the consumers to tell them whether or not they're making a good purchase here. Uh, and personally, I look the likes of Tesla and Polestar and I think okay pop-up shops I'm not massively a fan of but I like the idea of people kind of making that purchase online I understand Caroline what you're saying yeah we're, we're losing that communication part but that real world sitting with a dealer and, and look I love dealerships as well. I think they're great, but I think there's a lot of value in people being able to go, well, actually, no, I just want to press a button and I want my car to arrive and that's it. Job's done. And Neil. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, up until the pandemic started, I would have said absolutely no way there is always going to be a dealership model in Ireland because Irish people shop locally. And it, you know, it's, it's not so much brand loyalty with people. A lot of the time it's, it's, personal loyalty it's oh my dad bought a car off that guy or my brother bought a car off that guy i know they're good i know they'll give me after sales backup i know they'll give me good trade-in in three years time i'm going to go and buy a car from them and you can see that happening over and over again particularly where dealerships change franchises but keep their customer base so it's proof that customers aren't buying the brand they're buying the dealer but i do think i do think covid changed everything I think they did switch us on to online buying to that whole idea of click and deliver or click and collect. Um, so I think certainly in the medium term, what you're going to see is something of a hybrid model. You're going to see a certain number of people going for that click and buy experience, and they'll be very happy with that. And they'll, they'll do their research beforehand and okay, maybe they'll get a maybe they'll get a car delivered for a test or whatever during that process. But I do think there'll still be a significant cohort who will know. They'll want to know that that dealer is down the street or, you know, within an hour's drive or whatever, if there's a problem, you know, when they need to go in for a service, all that kind of thing. So uh, I think eventually it will come down to fewer premises and more online. But I think it might take a little while yet before we see a big fall off in the number of premises. Well, didn't even Paddy McGrath, when you were talking to him there two weeks ago, Neil, like didn't he, he even turn around and says, yeah, we've reduced our number of actual outlets. Um, now, he, he didn't jump deep dive into what we're talking about here. But I mean, straight away, that's already a look of it. Now, fair enough, they're kind of super dealerships now at this stage, uh, like what Audi do, et cetera. But it's kind of... Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I think there's something in this. I think in 10 years time, we're going to see far, 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 far less. Because you, when you think about it, for most people, the buying for most people. OK, now I know there's people that will just bring up their dealer and say, listen, I think it's time for a trade in. And they, they trade in the car and get a new car. Some people still do that. Fantastic. But I would guess I haven't done a survey on this. And folks, by all means, tweet us, uh, get in touch with us, send us an email, do whatever. Uh, but I think for most people, the buying journey starts online with the words, for example, in my case, Skoda, superb review. Um, what car can I get for X? They'll go on to sweep.ie, done deal.ie, car zone, the buyer's guide, whatever it is. They'll go on to all these websites and that's where the buying journey starts. And I just think that Dan, whether or not he means to be on something here, I think he's raising a, a good point. Um, Dan, I'd be interested in kind of finding out more as to what your angle is, as in where are you coming from when you're you're kind of bringing this up? Are, do you feel that Polestar and Tesla's way is the right way to do it? Or do you feel that uh, what, what, what other dealerships around the country are doing or around countries in general are doing? Is that the way to do it? Do you feel that we should maintain as, uh, sorry, Caroline, I'm not going to put this on you, but kind of what Caroline alluded to, which was, you know, it's great to have dealership. And I suppose one of the great things about it is more employment. The other great thing about it as well is there is that communication. It's like you can buy off someone you trust, whereas the internet is kind of faceless. Mm -hmm. Did you like the way I did the John Travolta face off thing there when I when I said yeah. that face off? Uh, face That's off. exactly how I feel about it, Derek. Yes. The face off bit. <laughs> 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 That's how the internet is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. No, and you've got a really good point there. I suppose you don't know who you're buying off off the internet, but like I mean, as a lot of operations, especially during lockdowns, went, uh, you would you'd speak, you, you'd have a Zoom call with your dealer, um, and we actually saw that during the lockdown. Uh, and where... I think I think I think one of the big things that changed in the last kind of 10, 15 years was the fact that you know roads in the country improve so much which opens up other places to buy you know if, if you were you know previously if you were a customer down in cork you'd buy from a cork-based dealer but now you know you can get to dublin in a couple of hours or just over it you can get to waterford much more quickly so you can shop around more for the car you want so i think that's changing the model too because car manufacturers and, and car importers are now cottoning on to the fact well look we can have fewer dealers but if we put them in the right place, they'll still draw in a significant amount of customers. And I think that's that's the model that's emerging. OK, and we'll put that that one to bed now. OK, let's move on to the next section of the show, folks. Let's uh, uh, let's do a belated beep test. Um, this one comes in from Neil Briscoe. Uh, you may recall uh, two weeks ago we spoke about the Audi RS e-tron, which um, I, I think Lotus like Lotus-like uh, agility is what uh, Neil Briscoe referred to it as, a fantastic looking car, but here's the beep test. Okay, it's time for the beep test, uh, a belated beep test for the Audi RS e-tron. Uh, let's see if this has got a beep that's worth 140,000 euros, shall we? One second while this bit of traffic goes past, and here we go. Here's beep, 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 and hey buddy! I don't know, is that worth 160 grand? Maybe. Mm, doesn't maybe quite sound quite expensive enough. Hmm, disappointing beep test there for the RSE Tron. 140 grand, Neil Brisk. Yeah. Is it worth cheap. it? For, for, for that horn? <laughs> for the, I don't know if the beep thing is worth 140 grand, but the whole car probably is just about, although there is. There is the thing of it's it, you know the standard e-tron GT, which is just over a hundred grand, is just a fabulous car as well. And you know it's a question of whether you need stroke, want stroke, deserve the extra power of the RS version. That's Caroline. That's, what, that's bigger. What, what what do you think? I I'd certainly say Caroline that this is better than his Toyota Camry anyway. Yeah, well that wouldn't be too difficult. I have to say, and uh, Neil hasn't had a good run with those. Toyota horns recently, but um, I think the Audi is pretty decent, isn't it? It's a lovely car. I would, oh. I kind of excuse it for the horn. In fairness, just don't use your horn. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, just, just roll down the window and say, "Hey, buddy, uh, there you go." Okay. Hey, buddy. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm too chill to be using the horn in this car. Okay, let's move on to the next beat test. This is uh, the next car we're going to talk about. Funnily enough, this is the Toyota Rav4 beat test. Right, it's time for the drive talking beep test uh, and in this week i'm in the toyota rav4 plug-in hybrid so here's beep here's beep beep and here's hey buddy that's really tinny and weak isn't it i mean for a big chunky suv like this 300 horsepower car nah not good enough okay okay yeah. pathetic wasn't yeah. it yeah. yeah it's just a bit yeah. crap isn't it yeah it's I, uh, fisher price do you know what I think this deserves, right? And it should only take two seconds max, right? An uncomfortable silence. You ready? Ooh, so, so, what's it like to drive, Neil? What's it like to drive? It's, it's very much a car of two halves because it's not as nice to drive as the standard RAV4 hybrid. The extra weight and the extra stiffness of the suspension just it just detracts a bit from the overall driving experience and i mean that kind of, i mean the touchy feely driving experience the how the steering responds how the ride quality works but in compensation for that it's staggeringly economical it'll go for 77 kilometers on a full charge with its battery on electric um or and, and that's a realistic claim that it's i mean if you're if you're getting less than 60 out of it then you're just pushing down on the loud pedal too much and then when you drive it long haul with the engine on with the petrol engine going it'll still do 53 miles to the gallon dead easy oh. so it's it's a really good solid all-rounder in that respect it's quite expensive the one i was driving was fifty thousand euro so it ain't cheap mm. but if if you've got a driveway and you can plug in every night at home you could you could make back a big chunk of that in fuel savings very quickly so yeah and you know typical toyota really well made really roomy good family machine shame it's an suv give us a camry estate okay i i'm asking you because written down here rivals rivals the the, the most direct rival would probably be the Ford Cougar PHEV, that's the most similar in size and in, and in capability, but the Cougar is thirstier on a longer run with its engine on than the RAV4. Toyota does have an, a built-in expertise with batteries and electric motors that other car manufacturers are still trying to catch up with a bit. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the RAV is, is more economical. Uh, the Ford's still pretty impressive. I was about to ask you heads of fair, but let, let's 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 put it into the bucket that it sits in. It's hybrid capabilities, and you're saying that in terms of that end of performance, it would be better than the Cougar. Let's say in terms of other performance, uh, because of the weight within the Rav4, does the Cougar perform better? Yeah, I mean it's similar enough in terms of overall weight, but the Cougar has a better suspension setup, so the Cougar is a little bit sweeter to drive. You know, if if you're someone who's an enthusiastic driver, the RAV's fine. Uh, it's just not a car to to glean any great enjoyment from when you're on a twisty road. It's a very good cruiser, though, really comfortable seats, very good refinement, uh, and as I say, that that long haul fuel economy that's just massively reassuring. Okay, um, and before we move on to um, Catherine's uh, Jaguar, one job, Caroline, got you there. Uh, before we move on to Caroline's Jaguar, um, just one final question regarding the infotainment. Now, once again, I've, I've never made any bones of this. I no longer test drive new cars. Um, so my question to you is, one of the problems I always had with Toyotas over the years was that their infotainment system was slightly, it looks slightly dated. And I know that's purely an aesthetic thing. What what what's that looking like at the moment in terms of infotainment? Have they improved? Still very dated. They have gotten Toyota has got an improved system, a really good one, mm -hmm. which you can get in the new uh, Lexus NX four fifty, uh, and it's also in the upcoming new Toyota BZ four X electric car, which is a really impressive car by yeah. the way. Um, it hasn't trickled down to the Rav yet. It's still the clunky old system, but the good news is it it now comes with. Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, so you just plug in your phone and you get a much better UI uh, in, in in on the screen than Toyota is currently providing. So, any any subscriptions on that one? <laughs> Not yet. Not that I noted. And the screen was mysteriously undamaged by a sledgehammer, so I guess it couldn't have had any subscriptions. <laughs> they probably attacked it. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Uh, this week, uh, Caroline Kidd, you you drove the um and and I say you got some great satisfaction when you sent a text to myself and Neil with your uh, beep test. It was like, this is the beep test from my 
Jaguar. Um, so this this My week jag. you're driving the your Jag. This week you're driving the Jaguar I Pace. Um, let's let's start off with your overall general impression of the car. Then we go into price, etc. I love it. It's really nice. And that car has been on sale since about 2018. So I just wasn't sure what it was going to be like because things move so fast in the EV world, but it's certainly still very relevant. It's still very good. Uh, the range is, I suppose, in real world terms, it's over 350 kilometers. Okay. So wow. that's that's comp- still competitive, you know, and you can get around just fine with that. It's got 400 horsepower, but it's just really fun to drive in the okay. way, in the spirit of Jaguar. It's fun to drive. It's really enjoyable car. The quality is excellent as well. Okay, Do you want so me to tell you the price? Well, I was about to get to that. So with, with the superb quality and everything else that you would expect and rightfully mm. expect from a Jaguar, how horrible is that price? So it starts from €76,890. And the one I had is the Black Edition, and it starts from €78,400. Which, considering the equipment on the car, I would say it's actually good value. But I'm sure no Jaguar owner wants to hear about good value. But that's probably the way I think about it. So, yeah, it's a lot of money and it's certainly it's a premium electric vehicle. Okay, and once again, because it's written down uh, here in front of me, rivals, who are we looking at? So the BMW iX3, the Audi e-tron the Mercedes-Benz EQT. So they're probably more SUV-like rivals. I would say, you know, the likes of the EV, the Kia EV6 and the Hyundai, Hyundai Ionic, Ionic 5 uh, could be considered. I'm really struggling with those names. Uh, they could be considered rivals. Obviously, they're a good deal cheaper, but when you look at the design of the Kia and the Hyundai, they were must have been looking at the Jaguar when they came up with those designs. Okay, and then you know. just, is there any kind of sore points that stood out for you? Anything that you'd see in it that just didn't didn't put a smile on your face? Other than price? Um, well, so far, I've missed that there's no wireless smartphone charging. I think it's available as an option, but it's not standard or it's not on this edition I have. I actually missed that, you know. I'm gone yeah. really fussy. I want wireless smartphone charging because I don't want to be carrying cables around all the time. You're, you're, you're so in touch with the general public. You know, <laughs> I, I, I can't even, I got one of the cheap phones. Like I've got a Huawei light, so you can't do the wireless charging. You have to, you have to be really rich to have one of those. You have to have enough money for a Jaguar. To have one of those on your phone, Caroline. <laughs> Mine's only it's an iPhone SE, which is the cheapest chips. Um, well, not cheapest chips, but I get it on my contract with Vodafone, so it's pretty simple entry level iPhone. I'm going into a lot of detail here. I was even surprised to find that my phone had wireless smartphone charging. Um, because I used to have a Huawei before the iPhone, and I really pointed to never do the wireless smartphone charging and now i just love it i can't get enough of it clearly we're all getting so lazy okay listen we're going to our final review of the day i i know i've got the yaris cross and the kia sportage in there but we're uh we're 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 running tight on time here so i want to talk about the brand i've been given out about recently because they don't have enough electric vehicles i want to talk about ladies and gentlemen the new nissan ariana grande yes it's the aria if i'm pronounced or no do you know what i'm going to purposely <laughs> mispronounce it the aria um so nissan have come out with a new aria and i believe that you guys am, am i pronouncing this correctly aria aria yeah ariana so. grande Okay. How are, how are you? you? How are you? How are you? So the Nissan, how are you? Okay. We've coined it here on drive talking. No, we haven't. Okay. Neil Briscoe's having a bit no, over we there. Be, we, can, we can be more sophisticated than that, can't we? We can, you know, an opera aria is what they're aiming at, surely. 
Okay. Uh, well, also, also, I'm from Cork, so I can't say how yet. There you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> Enough on that. So Nissan Aria, you guys have both uh, had a test drive with it there during the weekend in Mondello, I believe. Uh, Caroline, first impressions of the Aria. And I look uh, straight up to everyone who's listening. I am assuming these are not full test drives. Uh, I don't know if either of you had a long time with it there a few months ago when they were designing it or whatever. But uh, first impressions, Caroline Kidd, uh, are they coming to the market with something more than the Nissan Leaf? I suppose is my question. Absolutely, it's it's a, a a new generation Nissan vehicle. It looks fantastic. I really like the new design. They have this is the first Nissan with the new logo as well. It's beautiful finish inside the car. I think it's if you sat into it, Dara, you'd they've it's on. Um, we drove it on the track, so obviously, I mean, that's you get a limited idea of the, the feel of the car, but it seemed really swift and agile. There was some traffic cones and it navigated the traffic cones perfectly. So uh, I was impressed with it. And they seem to be talking a lot more now about their Japanese heritage as well. And of course, the car is going to be built in Japan. Okay. So that's that's really appropriate. So yes, that really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Neil Briscoe, um, I'll get to you about drive in a in a moment. But in terms of let's say plastic and plastics and things like that. Now, once again, no offense to Nissan, uh, they they make some amazing cars. With Qashqai being one of the most successful cars they've ever come out with, and things like that as well. However, to me, I've always found the plastics just a little bit kind of I won't say cheap, but didn't shout out you know top quality or anything like that are we looking at a high-end electric vehicle with the area are we looking at kind of cheap and cheerful no we're looking very much high-end in terms particularly in terms of the cabin layout design i i don't think it's a big stretch to say it's the nicest nissan cabin i've ever seen it's it's right up there with the Hyundai Ioniq 5, with the Kia EV6, even with some premium models, some proper premium, you know, German premium models. It, it, it's a really, really good cabin. I think the only let, there, well, there are two small letdowns in the cabin. One is that, that that lovely swoopy styling on the outside does eat into rear headroom a bit. So if you're trying to put adults in the back seat, they'll have loads of legroom, but the headroom gets a little bit tight. It's certainly if you're my height, it does anyway. Um, and, uh, there's i just think that the the digital dashboard looks nice and the new infotainment system looks nice but the dial screen the instrument screen is basically lifted from the Qashqai and i think even in the Qashqai it looks a little bit on the cheap side just just the graphics don't look quite high end enough um and so you know the, the area is more expensive than the than the Qashqai it's starting at 48995 so it's you know they i think they need to just go back to their software people and say you know, make you know, classify this by about fifty percent, please. But okay. yeah, it's a really good. I think it's. I think it's a really good car. And when can we expect to see it in the market? Is it in the market now, or do we have to wait a few months? It's the first ones should the first customer cars should be here in June, uh, or late June, early July. Uh, the reason Nissan wouldn't let us drive it anywhere but on track at Mondello is because they only have that one at the moment and they didn't trust us to take it on the public road. And frankly, who could blame them? Mm. Um, but it, it, I think the only problem is it, it all rounds very impressive. It's got two battery sizes. It'll do either around 400 kilometers or around 530 kilometers on a charge, depending on which battery you get. Those aren't the final figures. It still has to be fully tested by the WLTP system. But it... it it's still got a massive amount of competition to, to clear from those two Korean cars, the Hyundai and the Kia, because it's priced very close to the big battery versions of those cars. And I still think the two Korean cars have offer better all round value. Now, and I'm sorry in case either of you have answered this already, I swear I have been listening, but there's been a lot of information to digest over the last uh, nearly hour. Um, but in terms of range, any idea as to what type of batteries we can expect to come with the Aria, Aria uh, Ariana Grande, the, how are you? Um, Caroline Kidd, any idea of batteries? I know the ranges off the top of my head, but not the actual battery size. Okay. But I know one is just over 400 kilometers, W, not WLTP, and Real the work. other is over 500 kilometers. Wow. Okay. Yeah, allegedly. Okay. 
allegedly. I think okay, it's well, six, 60, <laughs> 63, kilo, 63 kilowatt hour and 87 kilowatt hour, I think. Okay, okay. Well, look, look, that's good news. I assume that the 87 is going to be very expensive and what you guys were testing was possibly the 63 if they give me a 48,000 euro uh, price tag on it. Yeah, we right? were testing the 63, and but I think we were testing it in the top spec version, so it had all the nice soft touch stuff on the inside. So I think that one's going to be kind of mid-50s. Okay, and very last question on this to either of you who's happy to answer it. Is there any word in terms of chip shortage, delays, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, surrounding this particular electric vehicle? Yeah, they're, they're, they did say supply will be severely restricted for the first right. little while. Uh, which is basically what everybody's telling us about every new car that's coming in. Hopefully that will start to clear up, you know, towards the back end of this year, beginning of 2023. But with everything that's happening in the world, no guarantees. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, folks, it's time to move on to our um, <laughs> Drive Talking quiz. Here we go. I'm going to put a nice little music bed in there so folks, you'll hear me talking in the background. Uh, Neil Briscoe and Caroline Kidd, this week we have devised a wonderful quiz for both of you. Uh, once again, it's fastest fingers first. Uh, and I'm going to now assign you both with your buzzer noise. Uh, Neil Briscoe, I love SUVs. Can I hear uh, it? <laughs> I love SUVs. Okay, if you could say it that way for every time, be fantastic. And of course, Caroline Kid, one for you. I just thought of this on the spot. I drive a Jaguar. I drive a Jaguar. Okay, all right, let's go. <laughs> and I like the little rawr at the end there. Okay, uh, okay, are we ready? Question number one, uh, fastest fingers first. Um, so I love SUVs versus I drive a Jaguar. Question one, what liquid substance invented in 1926 is used in a car's cooling system. Oh, uh, I love, I love SUVs. Yes, Neil Briscoe. Ethylene glycol. Antifreeze. Ah. Uh. Okay. Uh, wow. Flop on that one. That's <laughs> <laughs> question. Oh, that, that leaving cert chemistry just whizzed right past <laughs> me, didn't it? Antifreeze was just so simple as know, well. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these are designed to throw you. Okay, which car company is the tagline? You ready? Fingers on the buzzers. The ultimate driving machine. I drive a Jaguar. Yes. BMW. Nice. Okay. What car company came out with the... You ready? In 2004, what car company came out with the Orex 8? Oh, uh, I, I drive SUV. a Jaguar. Oh, SUV's got in there first. Yes, Neil Briscoe. Master baby, last of the rotaries. That's correct. Okay, now this one here, and this could be designed to throw you, I'm not sure. What is Jaguar's first all-electric car model called? I drive a Jaguar. Yes. I-Pace. Very nice, Caroline Kidd. Okay, what car manufacturer makes the Ultima? Oh, I love SUVs. Yes. Nissan, but not for Europe. Okay, do we call it Altima or Altima? Altima. I'm renting an Altima from Los Angeles International Airport. That's, nice. That's the correct pronunciation. Okay, what is the name of the sport hybrid coupe that Honda began producing in 2010? Oh, oh, I, I love SUVs. Yes. And my mind's gone blank. It, oh, uh, da, CRZ. Very good, Neil Briscoe. Wow, you are on one. On fire tonight. Today. Um, okay, if you I ready? could remember people's names, it would be helpful. <laughs> now, this is another name question, and this one's <laughs> going to be tough, okay? Who was responsible for the introduction of the Ford Mustang in 1964? I love SUVs. Yes? Well, I mean, depends how much you want to believe his autobiography. Uh, Lee Iacocca. Very good, Neil Briscoe. I tell you what. There's, there's something behind that vein that popped up in your in your forehead <laughs> earlier on. I like it. Okay. Uh, what type of car did Starsky and Hutch drive? Oh, I love SUVs. Ah, oh, come on. You have to be born in the bloody 1970s. No, they, they, made, they made a movie in the noughties now. Come on, Neil Briscoe. That's me, baby. 1970s vintage. Summer of 76. And you're finally um, getting advantage from that now. <laughs> yeah, you got five that, seconds to give me an answer. Five. Ford, Ford Gran Torino. Okay, very good. Um, which animal is on the Porsche logo? Oh, I, I love SUVs. It's, yes. a, it's, it's a horse. Yes, it's it a is horse. a couple. That's correct. It's the okay. horse of Stuttgart. 
Let's move on to the next one here. Um, nearly there. Okay, so just a couple more. The world's first speeding ticket was issued in which year? You see, you learn something from today's quiz. Where folks. the hell did you get You will these learn something from today's from. quiz. 1902 is the answer. Sorry, <laughs> were you about to say 1902, Neil? <laughs> I actually was. Believe it or not, I actually was. Damn it. <laughs> okay, uh, which was the first car to get laser beam headlights? Laser. Jesus. Laser beam headlights. Laser. Fire the lasers. I believe uh, I believe it was. Uh, we got a, I believe pass. it was a BMW i8. Okay. Well, it probably was, actually. And the very last question. And Caroline, you cannot say, oh, this is an old person's question. It's this is a question for someone called Nigel. The, the movie, <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, the movie came out in the last four years, I think. Uh, in which movie did Ford feature against a rival company? Well, it has two names. So which one are you going to accept? No, the name of the movie, please. Yeah, the movie has two names. Okay. It was called One Thing in the US and One Thing Over Here. Okay, give me the one in the US. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari. There you go. Obviously, I got this from a US website. What's the name of it over here again? I can't remember. Le, Le Mans Ferrari 66. Le Mans 66. <laughs> okay. But actually, they, but actually, on that note, uh, skip the movie. Go and read the uh, book that the movie is based on called Go Like Hell by A.J. Bain. Brilliant, brilliant book. Well worth reading. And that's the recommendation of the week from Nigel and Catherine. Um, <laughs> Neil Br Nigel Briscoe, Neil Briscoe and Caroline Kidd. Folks, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, now, folks, coming up next week, I believe we have a few interviews ready to go. We'll talk about more next week. Uh, in the meantime, what I'd love you all to do is like this episode of the podcast. Follow us, share it. Uh, be nice, be good, share it around, listen, do all those crazy things you're supposed to do. And other than that, folks, we'll all see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.